All right. Thank God for his mercy. Amen. I need it every day, new every morning. That's a good thing. So I got some new challenge every morning that needs new mercy. Thank you, choir and our worship team. Can we put our hands together and appreciate them this morning? If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 13 this morning. John 13. Recently, I've been reading through the book of John, and there is a particular disciple that just, boom, stands out to me. Every, everywhere I turn, I'm, I'm, I'm reading about, I'm wondering about this disciple. Jesus had, uh, as we know, 12 disciples, and uh, those 12 disciples were all very, very unique in some ways, and in some ways they were the same. They were all called by Jesus himself to personally take up their cross and follow him. They all left a lot of things behind to follow Jesus, just like you've done if you're a follower of Jesus. But there's some uniqueness about each one of them. They're known for something. And this, this particular disciple was, was unique about him. There was something unique that uh, is pointed out in this Gospel of John. And I want to jump right into it with you this morning. And I want to look quickly at five passages. We're going to jump in those passages, jump out. It's going to be a quick trip, a come and go. Okay, into the passage, out of the passage. We're going to start with John chapter 13 and verse number 21. I want you to see how this disciple is described. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified. Verily, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which one of them he meant. And one of them, here it is. I put it in italics for you this morning. The disciple whom Jesus loved, the disciple whom Jesus loved, I wonder who that is, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. And leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Here's the mystery disciple this morning. Jump to chapter 19 of John with me. At this point in in the testimony of Jesus Jesus is actually on Golgotha. He is hanging on the cross. And in verse number 26, it says this. When Jesus saw his mother there, his mother was there the day he was crucified. His mother was standing at the cross and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby. And he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Jump ahead to John chapter 20 as we speed through these passages about this mystery disciple. John 20 and verse number one says early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the tomb or the stone rather had been removed from the entrance. And so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Okay, jump ahead with me now to John chapter 21, verse number one. Actually, we're going to start in verse number four. But let me just summarize the first four verses. Jesus has raised, been raised from the dead. He's appeared to the disciples and six of the disciples said, hey, let's go back to fishing. So they went back to fishing. And that night, the Bible says that they had caught nothing, nada, And verse number four, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not recognize that it was Jesus. 
And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat. How many of you know they were fishing on the wrong side of the boat all night? Fish on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net because of the large number of fish. Verse seven, watch this. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. Okay, here's the last passage of this mystery disciple that we're reading about today. John 21, verse number 20. Then Peter turned and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, this disciple whom Jesus loved, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Here we have this disciple that has just captured my attention. His name is not given. He is simply described as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I read that and I thought to myself, I thought Jesus loved all the disciples. How many of you know he did? But only one really knew it. Only one really understood that he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. How can we find out more about this guy? Who is this disciple whom Jesus loved? If we look at verse number 24 of John chapter 21, we'll get a glimpse of who this person is. Many of you already know. This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Most scholars, uh, most theologians, most everybody in the world understands today by all the evidence out there that this disciple whom Jesus loved was the disciple who wrote the gospel of John. And his name is it's John. It's the apostle John. He also wrote, as we know, 1st, 2nd and 3rd John, and he also wrote the book of Revelation. But what's interesting is, is the fact that he identified himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. I mean, it sounds a little arrogant, doesn't it? You know, what about the other 11? Now, he doesn't love them. He loves me, though. He identified himself as this disciple. Whom Je- Imagine somebody coming up to you and, and, and saying, hey, um, you know, tell me about yourself. Well, I'm the disciple that Jesus loves. OK, so what's your name? Well, my name's really not that important, but I'll tell you this. I'm the disciple that Jesus really loves. Right. Well, um, what do you do? Well, what I do is really not that important. What Jesus has done is most important because it tells me that I'm the one that he loves. Ty Schinzel, he used to say that that God loves me more than anybody else. Not really, but kind of. (laughs) You see, there are those who are, are convinced that they are the disciple whom Jesus loves. I want to ask you this morning, when you think about your relationship with Jesus, how would you describe your relationship with Jesus? If I'm going to say, tell me about your relationship with Jesus. You might say, well, you know what? I'm the disciple who sings in the choir. Or I'm the disciple who serves in the kitchen or on security. And we're so thankful for all of you. 
You might say, you know, I'm the disciple who, who goes to early morning prayer five days a week. That's me. I'm that disciple. I'm really into prayer. Or I'm the disciple who reads through the Bible every year. That's just what I do as the disciple of Jesus. You might say, I'm the disciple who has the gift of teaching. That's my gift. It's, it's Jesus saved me to serve. And I'm the disciple who serves. Or I'm the disciple with the gift of prophecy. Right? Or you might say this morning, Pastor, I don't identify with any of those things. I'll tell you what, I'm the disciple who just seems he can never get his act together. Right? Maybe you're like the, the disciple named Thomas. And we know Thomas as doubting Thomas. Thomas would have said, I'm the disciple who doubted Jesus. Or if you were to talk to James, James would say, I'm the disciple who is slow to believe. Right? I think a lot of us could probably identify with the disciple who just can't seem to get it together. And if you're here this morning, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> a lot of times our identity comes from what we do more than what more than it coming from what Jesus has already done. John, rather than saying, I am the disciple who loves Jesus. He said, I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. And if I were to ask you this morning, tell me about your relationship with Jesus. Oh, I love Jesus. I'm the disciple that loves Jesus. But John did not identify himself as that disciple. He said, I'm the one that Jesus loves. This is very significant. In fact, it's significant enough that five times in this book called John, John identifies himself as that disciple. Isn't that amazing? I don't know about you, but I want to be John this morning. I'm glad my middle name is John. From now on, Pastor John. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. So let's dig into this a little bit here. John identifies himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. But here's what we know about John. It wasn't always that way. His identity was not always about how much Jesus loved him. The Bible says that, that John had a brother named James. And James and John were the sons of Zebedee. How about that for a dad? Hey, what's your dad's name? Zebedee. So they were the sons of Zebedee. They were also called the, the sons of thunder. The son, sons of thunder. And why, where did they get that name from? Well, here's a case in point. They were going through Samaria one day and Jesus was going through with them and they had stopped to get some hospitality. They needed a break. They needed some refreshment. And so they asked some of the Samaritans, would you provide some hospitality? And they said, absolutely not. And James and John said, well, then, Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven to just wipe them out? A little bit of an anger problem there. Just a little bit, maybe. Right. And the Bible says that Jesus rebuked James and John for that. Right. See, he wasn't always the disciple whom Jesus loved. At one point, he was the disciple who was zealous and the disciple who was angry. And, and another time, the disciple who was ambitious. One time, James and John, they went to Jesus. Another time, their mother went to Jesus. They went to Jesus and they said, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, promise us this. That one of us can sit at your right and one of us can sit at your left. Right? These men, their identity, John's identity was, was steeped in his position and in his power. How many of you know when you're young, you want position, you want power. You want to make a name for yourself in the earth. 
And John was like that. He was not always the disciple. This is encouraging this morning. You may not be honestly able to say this morning, you know what? I just know this, Pastor. I don't know if I love Jesus enough, but I do know this. I know that I'm the disciple that Jesus loves. And that's all that matters. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Right? That's all I know. Tell me about yourself. Well, I'm the pastor. I'm a disciple who's the pastor of Glad Tidings Church. Multicultural congregation. Over 55 different nations worship here together every Sunday. <laughs> Look what we've made for ourselves. Or do I know myself? You know what? I don't know what God is doing. I'm amazed by what he's doing. But I'll tell you this. I'm the disciple whom Jesus loves. I know God loves me more than anybody else. Right? <laughs> Not really, but kind of. See, each one of us, God wants each one of us to be convinced that you're the disciple. He wants you to be convinced that no matter what you accomplish in life or what you don't accomplish in life, how much you love Jesus or how much you don't love Jesus, Jesus wants you to know this morning that you're the disciple that he loves. That's what he wants us to walk away with this morning. That's what he wants John to impress upon us as we read this gospel called John. John wrote about the love of God more than more than any other gospel New Testament writers. Let me let me jump back to this this thing here for a minute. John didn't always know that he was he was this disciple whom Jesus loved. This is so amazing to me. Listen to this. Seventy years had passed from the time Jesus was crucified to the time that John sat down and he wrote the gospel of John. Seventy years. Seventy years had passed. That means he was 90 plus years old. He sits down and he begins to write the eyewitness account of Jesus 70 years later. And it is that time, 70 years later, that he begins to describe himself in this way. That encourages me because it takes time to become the disciple whom Jesus loved. Right? It takes time for that that love to sink from here down to here to take that 16 inch journey from my head to my heart. I hope it doesn't take me 70 years, <laughs> but somewhere in that time of span, John got it. And that's all he wanted to be identified as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He wrote more about the love of God than any of the gospel writers. The word love appears 15 times in Matthew, seven times in Mark, 14 times in Luke, but 39 times in John's gospel. That means that John wrote more about the love of God than all the other gospel writers combined. The word love appears 27 times in this tiny little book called First John. Do you think John knew something about the love of God? He knew something about the love of God. And maybe you'll recognize some of these verses in which he talked about the love of God. How about this one? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. How many of you heard that verse? John 3.16. Jump into 1 John. Maybe you've heard this. How great is the love the Father has lavished upon us. He's not talking about how much we love God. He's talking about how much God has lavished him with love that we should be called children of God. And church, that is what you are. Children of God, lavished with the love of God. John, first John chapter four, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out, cast out fear. 
Because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. John has something to teach us about love. And because he knew the love of God in such a personal way, there were some things that John got to experience that the others didn't experience. He recognized the voice of God before the other disciples did. He said, behold, there there is the Lord. He is the Lord, he told Peter. He said, he is the Lord Jesus. He recognized the voice of Jesus before the others. He was chosen to care for Jesus' mother. Here is your mother, Jesus told him. Listen, when I write a will and I'm, I'm writing in there the names of the people who are going to watch my children, should I be taken from this earth early? How many of you know they're going to people they're going to be people who know how to love my children. And when Jesus was leaving this earth, he didn't want to leave his mother uh, unattended for. He didn't want to leave his mother abandoned. He wanted somebody who he knew, who he trusted, could love his mother better than anybody else. And he chose John to do that. Why? Because he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was given the privilege to write about it in John and in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and in Revelation as well. He was privileged to suffer for Christ on the island of Patmos. Because he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. Can I tell you this morning that being the disciple whom Jesus loved doesn't mean that you get to go past jail and collect your $200. Sometimes being the disciple that Jesus loved means that you're put on the island of Patmos. Patmos was an island. It was a, it was a prison island like Alcatraz. It was this uh, volcanic rock island, abandoned island that became a prison island. And, and people were sent there, political prisoners were sent there who were very important, but they didn't want to kill them. They just wanted to isolate their influence. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 1 verse number 9 that John was put there because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Can I tell you this morning that we don't have to be ashamed of the word of God and we don't have to be ashamed to testify about Jesus, even if it lands us on the island of Patmos. Because even if you're on the island of Patmos, even if you're in the land of suffering right now, let me tell you, you, the enemy may think that he has taken his influence away from you, but you can be just as influential on the island of Patmos as you can on the mainland. You're like, what are you talking about? I'm talking about revelation. John was trusted with the revelation of Jesus Christ. We call it the book of Revelation. He was trusted with this vision from God. He was trusted with this revelation from God that he put in writing while he was on the island of Patmos. That tells me you could be on the island of Patmos and that may be the place God wants you because that's where you can receive your greatest revelation of Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation, we think of the Antichrist and the beast and all this crazy stuff going on. But the Bible says in very first chapter, the very first verse that the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ, not the Antichrist, not the beast, not this, not that. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you this morning. If you're on the island of Patmos, you can have your greatest revelation of Jesus. Don't run from that place. You can have your greatest influence, your greatest revelation that you can pass on to somebody else. This revelation that John had received on the island of Patmos, it was the revelation of Jesus Christ post-resurrection. Much of our understanding of who Jesus is, is in the Gospels, is pre-resurrection. It's the lamb who is slain. 
It was the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. But the revelation that John received was post-resurrection Jesus. He wasn't the Lamb anymore. He was the Lion of the tribe of Judah. You see, a lot of times we think Jesus is this meek and mild and this and that, and he is the Lamb of God. He did lay down his life to take away the sins of the world. But listen, he's a resurrected Lord. He's King of kings. He's Lord of lords. He's Lion of the tribe of Judah. That's the Jesus that lives today. That's the Jesus that's coming back for his church. And we wouldn't know that if it weren't for this revelation that God gave John on the island of Patmos. Thank God for the island of Patmos. Why did God trust such a significant prophecy and revelation to John? Why? And this is the reason why. Because prophecy means nothing without love. And he had to find a servant who understood the love of God. He had to find a servant who had the heart of God to communicate the prophecy of God. God wants to trust you with revelation. But he can't give you the ultimate revelation that he wants to give you without the revelation of his love. First, you have to become the disciple whom Jesus loves before you can become the disciple who prophesies. Think about that. So here's the big question that everybody's wondering. How did he know that he was the disciple? How did he know he was the disciple whom Jesus loved? What did he do to get that understanding, to get that revelation? Well, I think from the scriptures that we've read earlier, we can see that John, he positioned himself. He positioned himself to become that disciple. And if you were looking at the scriptures closely that we read earlier, you would have seen these words describing this disciple. He was reclining next to Jesus. He was reclining next to Jesus. There was this close proximity to Jesus reclining next to Jesus. Anybody could have sat next to Jesus around that table. But John chose to sit right next to him, reclining next to him. They didn't sit at the table and eat in those days. They had a very low table, often a large slab of wood or stone. No chairs around, just pillows around. And they would recline. They would lay down on their elbow like this. They would lay down on their left elbow like this. And they would eat their meal. And John was reclining at the table with Jesus. I think I need to do some more reclining. What about you? I love my recliner. I know it's ugly, but I love it. It's so comfortable. He was reclining next to Jesus. Another phrase says that he was leaning upon his chest or his bosom. He was that close to Jesus. He could feel, he could hear his heartbeat. Another verse says he was standing nearby. Right? Jesus was on the cross. Mary, the mother of Jesus right there. And, and here, standing nearby is John. Peter and John go for a Peter and Jesus, actually, they go for a walk. We read about it. And you think it was just Peter and Jesus. But no, John was right there. <laughs> John did not let Jesus out of his sight. Close proximity. He positioned himself. To become the disciple that, that understood, that grasped the love of God for him. It didn't just happen. 
I didn't just one day wake up and go, you know, God really loves me. I didn't wake up one day and just go, you know what? I'm God's favorite. <laughs> he was intentional. He positioned himself to grasp this love of God. I was thinking earlier this week, for those of you who like baseball, and I'm not a huge baseball fan, but um, I, I love, I like to watch the game and and uh, maybe go to the College World Series or something. But uh, I'm fascinated by the people who who are always trying to catch the home run balls. And you see them out there and they've got their gloves on and they're waiting and they're, you know, but to catch a home run ball, you have to be positioned right. You have to get in the right spot in the stadium and you got to get your glove on. You got to get your game on. You got to be watching almost like you're playing the game. You're right there. And there's a guy by the name of Bobby Crosby, and he's not the baseball Bobby Crosby, but he's the Dodgers fan. He knows all about positioning yourself. He has caught over hundreds of home run uh, uh, baseballs, most of them from batting practice, but eight of them he's caught during actual big games since 1998. Listen, check this out. For almost 20 years, he's made this his passion of catching these, these, home run fly, these home run balls. This is what he does. He goes to about 75 games a year. How many of you have time for that? He arrives two hours before the game even starts to go to the batting practice. He takes his position. He sits on the front row behind the left fielder, glove in hand, right hand, video camera in his left hand. And he literally catches and videotapes it all at the same time. Who has time for that? Why would he do this? Well, for some reason, he finds he finds great value in this. He finds a great value in giving his life to catching these home run baseballs. John positioned himself to become the disciple whom Jesus loved because he valued grasping the love of Jesus. He'd come two hours early. He'd get so he could get just the right seat around the table so he could sit right next to the host, to Jesus. He'd be the one to ask the tough questions. Who's going to betray you? When Jesus got up from the table and started to have a walk with Peter, he would get up and he would walk with them. Here's what I've learned. Whatever you value, you will grasp. Whatever you value, you will grasp. You will go after it. No matter what it takes, I'm going to catch. I'm going to catch that, that home run ball. Whatever it takes, I'm going, to, I'm going to catch. I'm going to grasp the love of God. I'm going to become the disciple whom Jesus loved. I'm going to understand and know that love so deeply. The Apostle Paul, he was praying for the church in Ephesus. And he prayed this. He said, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Why? That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of Christ. That's a lot to chew on right there. Let me just unpack it briefly for you. If you want to experience the fullness of Christ, that has to pass through the filter of love. He prayed, I, I pray that you can grasp the love of God. Why? So that you can experience the fullness of Christ. Because the power of Christ has to pass through the funnel of love. The, the gifts of the Spirit have to pass through the funnel of love. 
The authority of Christ has to pass through the funnel of love. Before you can experience the, the fullness of God, the full, every piece of him, his character and his attributes and his nature, you have to begin with the first attribute, which is God is love. And when you grab that, when you grasp that, you can fathom the other depths of Christ. Paul said these words in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. He said, I press on. To take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I press on to take hold or to grasp that for which Christ Jesus took hold or grasped me. Paul was saying, you know what? I haven't attained it yet. But one thing that I do is I forget what is behind and I press on to take hold of the prize. For which God has called me heavenward. So this is where it gets practical. Uh, I don't know about you, but I want to be the disciple. I want to be the disciple. I don't care about you. I want, I want for me. You almost have to have that attitude. You know what? I, I need that revelation of love. Because your life, everything you do will, will flow from that. Jesus said this. He said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, out of the abundance of your heart, your life lives. What's in your heart? In John's heart, we know it was in his heart. I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. And everything in his life came through that filter in his heart. Everything. You know, Carissa Carter has this thing. God loves me so much, he's going to help me find a parking space at Walmart. Right up front, right close. And it happens every time. I don't understand it. But she really believes that she's the disciple whom Jesus loves. I want to be that. I want to be in that place. And I've been there before. And it's kind of sometimes I'm, I'm there. I'm like I'm all about it. Other times I'm insecure about who I am in Christ. How many of you are with me this morning? You know what I'm talking about. So what do you do? You just keep putting yourself in a position. You position yourself to grasp the grace of God. And a lot of times we talk about, well, come to the prayer meeting and come to this meeting and do your devotion and all of that. And, and that is absolutely a huge piece of it. But I want to talk to you men here for just a moment this morning. Because I think John provides a lot of encouragement for us as men. When we start talking about love, right, guys, and intimacy, right? The next thing we start talking about is talking and prayer. And we're like, can't we just do something? Men like to do things. We understand that men, when they want to have a relationship with one another, when they want to build a friendship or if they want to have intimacy, right? It's let's do something. If guys want to become friends, what do they do? Hey, hey, let's sit down and have a three hour coffee together. Right? You know, let's make it five hours. You know. Guys just love to sit and talk about how they feel and, you know, what they're thinking and, you know, and man, isn't this good? And, and, uh, you know, let's just do this all the time. You know, my friends, what they do? Hey, you want to go turkey hunting? Hey, you want to go fishing? Hey, you want to look at my hot rod? Right? You want to go work on the car? Hey, I'm building a shed. You want to come over? I mean, that's what guys do to build relationships. 
And I think what's happened is we've limited to knowing God to the, the secret place and the quiet place and the, and, the, and, the, and the closet place and the prayer meeting. And John did those things. Don't, don't misunderstand. He did those things. But he did life with Jesus. He'd wake up and say, hey, Jesus, what are we doing today? Jesus said, well, we're going fishing. Okay, let's do it. Different kind. We're going to fish for men today. All right, let's do that. You know, it was always about what they were doing. Last year, uh, uh, we lost a dear friend here at Glad Tidings and a dear friend of mine, Bob Hassler. And uh, Bob lived out in Iowa and, and, his, and his wife, Kelly, still lives on the farm. 40 acre farm and Bob always had a dream in his heart and his dream was he was going to build a really nice fence around the 40 acres. And he had plans and he started collecting some of the materials and, and then suddenly Bob passed away. He's, he's with Jesus today and I'm a little jealous about that. But he left this farm and his wife and, you know, and the kids are grown. And so what are we going to do? And a friend of mine, we approached Kelly and we said, you know what? What if we helped you build that fence? What if we did something? And so we called all our buddies and all these guys got together and, and they love this because they get to show off their new trucks and their four wheelers and, you know, wear their muscle shirts and get away with it, you know, and sweat and stink and fun stuff, you know, intimacy, good stuff. And so we get together and there's about 30 of us guys. And, and we did this over like five Saturdays. We got together, we'd work six, seven, eight hours each Saturday for five Saturdays. And we, we fence brand new fence around 40 acres. It was incredible. And we're like this band of brothers, you know, we're like, remember the fence, you know, and it's like, yeah, we, we did it, man. You know, there was this, this brotherly love, this connection, this thing that happened. And, and, and what am I trying to say here this morning? I'm trying to say, treat your relationship with Jesus like that. Instead of saying, you know what, am I, if I'm going to become the disciple Jesus loved, I got to, I got to go to every prayer meeting every time. If I'm going to be, no. You don't have to. I would encourage you to go to at least one prayer meeting a week. I would encourage you to have devotion with him every day. But I would encourage you to take him with you when you go out into the garage and change the muffler on your truck. Take him with you when you go fishing. Do something with Jesus. That's how guys connect. You know, ladies, they just, you know, their connection is this. Man, let's get, let's just get together and talk all day long. Let's do a sleepover where we don't sleep. We just talk all night long. And guys are like, I got to go to work the next day. I, I'm, I, 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 and they're like, well, so do we, but we love this. Here's some quick marriage advice for you guys. Guys, learn to talk with your spouse. Gals, learn to do some activities with your men. Go fishing with them every once in a while. I bought my wife a nice pair of hiking boots and she thinks they're so she can wear them to school when it's snowy outside. I'm like, honey, I bought you the boots so we could go hiking together. Activity. So she gets it. We're going to go to Colorado in a couple weeks or vacation our family. And we're going to hike around for a little bit. Do you understand here? Guys, listen, you can be like John. You can connect with Jesus in deep ways. It doesn't always have to look like a 24-hour prayer meeting. Although it may. <laughs> Are you with me? Okay. All right, worship team, please come. We're going to wrap things up a little bit here this morning. I'm so glad that, that, that John, a man, a male, could experience intimacy with Jesus. In such a way that maybe with a little bit of a boast, he said, I'm the disciple. 
whom Jesus loved. You might be here this morning and, and uh, you're like, you know what? I'm not even a disciple yet. I haven't even gotten the first base. <laughs> I'm not even a disciple of Jesus, but I do know this. You're here this morning. I know you're here and, and you know you are as well. You have heard Jesus. You have heard Jesus whisper to your heart, come follow me. You've heard that call. Come follow me. And you have not yet said, you know what? I'll leave everything behind. I'll leave my sin behind. Whatever it is, God, I'll leave it behind and I'll follow you the rest of my days. You have not made that decision. You have not made that decision to become a follower of Jesus. But this is the most important moment in this meeting and in your life. You have the opportunity to say, yes, Lord. You have the opportunity to say yes to Jesus today. You have the opportunity to become the disciple whom Jesus loved. But you have to take that first step. And the Bible calls that first step repentance. And that simply means a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. I'm going to change my mind about my sin. And I'm going to say, you know what? I am a sinner. I'm not going to run from that. I'm not going to excuse it. I'm not going to make excuses anymore. I'm going to say, you know what? I am a sinner in need of grace. And I hear God knocking on my heart saying, come follow me. If that's you this morning, I want you to do something bold. I want you to stand right where you're at. If that's you this morning, I am ready to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. It's a bold invitation. Just stand right where you're at. And the reason why I'm giving it to you bold, because that's how Jesus gave his invitations. He gave them publicly. And Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me before men, Jesus said, I'll be ashamed of you before my father in heaven. So if that's you this morning, I just want to pray for you. God bless you. Thank you for being so honest and real. Anybody else want to just stand and say, you know what? This is the day I've heard him call. I'm going to answer. I'm going to follow Jesus from this this point forward. I'm following Jesus. Another person in the balcony. Anybody else? Anybody else? Hey, my pastor gave me this invitation in 1986, and I'm so glad he did. I'm so glad he did. It changed everything. Anybody else this morning before we pray? Let's just pray right where we're at. Those of you in the balcony that are standing, I'm just going to lead you in this, in this heart prayer. Right where you're standing, right where you're at. I want you to tell God, I have decided to follow Jesus. Just tell him that. I have decided to follow Jesus. I've decided that I'm a sinner and I need a savior. Tell him that this morning. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. God, I want to follow you. God, I've placed my faith in you this morning. To forgive me, to cleanse me, make me a new person this day moving forward. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Can we say a big celebration to those standing this morning? Can we just say thank you? God bless you. God bless you. You know, there's a there's a standing ovation happening in heaven right now. I think we should have a standing ovation here on earth. Let's just praise God this morning. Thank you, Lord.
Let me tell you, those of you who, who stood, Jesus loves you. He loves you. He loves you just the way you are, and he loves you enough to not allow you to stay that way. See, Glad Tidings is the perfect place for people who aren't perfect. We are all under construction. But it begins, it begins here, it begins today with, with Jesus by his spirit coming to live inside of us. And that's what he's done for a few of you this morning. The two ladies that stood, I'm going to encourage you. When I dismiss, please come down to the front. I just want to greet you, say thank you. And our prayer teams will have a, a gift to give you and some literature that will help you grow. If you would do that. And our prayer teams are going to be coming today. If you need prayer for anything, we're here to pray for you. God, as we dismiss from this place, God, I pray that you would encounter your love, God, in such a way that we become known and we become ourselves known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week in Jesus.